0: Welcome to Angel's Exits and Acquisitions, the place to learn how to fund, scale, exit, and massively profit as an angel investor or entrepreneur. Brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. Hey, everyone, this is Jeff Barnes with the Angels Exits and Acquisitions podcast. I'm here with a special guest today, my partner with the Angel and Hero Venture Growth Fund. He is also the CEO of C-Suite Network and runs several different councils, several different media companies, has been involved in a Fortune 100 company in the past running their advertising and marketing side as the CMO of Kodak. I'm really pleased to announce our special guest here, Mr. Jeffrey Hazel. Jeff, go ahead and say hi to everyone.
1: Hey, it's good to have you here, man. Look, look we got Jeff and Jeff squared. Look at that power of two Js.
0: Make it a great day, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool, Jeff. So I'm assuming that a lot of people out in our world don't really know much about you. They haven't you know, been staying in touch with you on a regular basis like I have as my partner and going to all these different events. So why don't you take just a couple of quick minutes and tell people kind of who you are, your background, and how you end up running C-Suite Network.
1: You got it. Thank you very much. Yeah. I've bought and sold over 250 companies in my career, about $25 and. Acquisitions and the transactions over the number of years I've been in business. You know, I, I worked my way up into a Fortune 100 officer. You mentioned I was the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak uh, globally. I've worked in sales and marketing for a number of different companies over my long career and have started up a ton of companies and and of course invest and fund. And I I ran that at a corporate level, but I also did that uh, personally, you know, in terms of investing in businesses and certainly starting my own, some of them good, some of them bad. We can talk about that. Uh, After I left Kodak, I went off and did television. I was a judge on Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump for about Nine episodes uh, for three seasons, and then I then did my own show on Bloomberg. I had my own television show on Bloomberg. It was a primetime show called The C Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett. Now. Um, That led me to running uh, what's called the C-Suite Network, a a trusted group of C-Suite executives, about 350,000 executives that are part of our network. Uh, Today, we have a number of council groups, uh, the Angel Investors Network being one of those many, many uh, trusted councils that we have in our organization. And then we run today a media network called C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio, which is our podcast network. Uh, We have C-Suite Book Club. Uh, we put on numerous meetings around the country, and we're there to help uh, people either to be a great C-suite executive or to serve C-suite executives. That's that's really what the C-suite network is all about. So there he is. That, that's it in two minutes flat.
0: Perfect. I love it. Love it. Um, so you said a lot there, and I want to dive into that. And obviously this podcast will be showing up on the C-suite radio uh, uh, media platform, so we're really excited about that. And I have a question for you that I think – It should be on a lot of people's minds. If it's not, it's just because they missed it, which is you've done over $25 billion in acquisitions and and purchasing companies, over 200 companies bought and sold. How does someone who is the CMO of a major corporation go through that process of buying and selling over 200 companies and doing that much in transaction.
1: Well, so I had done most of that prior to getting to the CMO. Um, So, you know, and I bought and sold a number of companies on my own. And then I went to a company called Sinveo. At that time it was called Mailwell. And then Mailwell, we did about 140 roll-ups where we went around and bought up a number of companies. Prior to that, I, I worked in the, also in the printing industry as well. And I worked with another group on buying up franchise organizations. And so we were buying, you know, wholesale businesses, 18 center print chains, you know, so quick printing operations, things like that. And then I went to uh, Melwell, which became Sinveo, and we took it public on the stock exchange, switched it over and renamed it Sinveo in the New York Stock Exchange. Got to ring the bell the whole bit, but we did a roll up and we're literally uh, myself, the CEO and a few others were traveling day by day visiting sites. And then we had a formula for how we'd buy those based on what we wanted to do. And so based inside that formula, we'd cut the deals, you know, and then of course we had the financing funding. We were about, about 2 billion in size at the time. So fairly good size operation, but yeah, I've been involved with a number of businesses like that. of course, when I got to Kodak, I'd actually, I took some time off after that endeavor, did another roll up with a guy named Sheldon Adelson and Tom White and a couple of other people and we bought and sold uh, about three different businesses that we rolled up to about a 30-40 million dollar company and then we went started another one called Webprint where we were the online printing service for Yahoo, for AOL at the time, and then sold the, the assets to companies like Kinko's and Sir Speedy and their franchises. So we sold the technology and then left that and took some time off again and, and then you know, sold some of the companies to Kodak. And then in, in selling a couple of companies to Kodak, they said, hey, come over and be the CMO, which kind of led me. Yeah, inside a bigger company, it's a lot tougher you know to buy and sell companies as opposed to investing in companies the way you'd want to as an individual angel investor you know the way that we do it today you know you you and i and a few others make up an investment committee it's a lot easier to do we decide what we want to do you usually you got to you know we you and i know the parameters of how we work together so you know you make those kind of calls on an ongoing basis a lot you know and, and easy and then and just run with them you know so it did you know each of us has a different thing and you work in a big corporation you got to run it to the Frickin' legal teams, you got to run it through uh, all the captains of no, you know, inside a big corporation, you have all these people who say, well, uh, I don't know if we should do that. You know, I don't know if that's us. I don't know if it fits with us. Like you idiot, you haven't worked a day in your life in the operational side. So what do you know? You know, but anyway, different, different thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. Before I came to angel investors now we're doing the exact same thing, going out there, business use cases, looking at the companies, finding great opportunities that we knew we could take out there and just really grow them with our resources. But same thing, you know, dealing with every gatekeeper, the gatekeeper's gatekeepers, right? Just trying to get a decision made. So it's real challenging. Well, cool. Well, you said a term in there a few times, and I want to make sure people really understand. You you use the term roll up, right? So you're buying all these different print companies, you're buying companies. What does that mean? And why would someone who's investing in companies want to consider that as as part of a strategy? Because obviously that was a big part of your strategy.
1: Yeah. So a big part of our strategy was to find businesses that were like us, okay, in some way, shape or form. So they fit a certain footprint of a description of what we would see that business to be. And then knowing what that was, it fit a template for us. And so then we could go find similar ones like that and then just literally march across the United States and buy those or march across any geographical area or industry and buy them up. And so you you call it, it's a roll-up. So you're rolling them all up into one big, now bigger company. Because as you go through the mechanics of buying say 10 of them, well, do you need 10 heads of marketing? Do you need 10 heads of sales? Do you need 10 accounting you know, systems? Do you need 10 uh, telephone systems? Do you need you know, all the things that you can ha- then have synergies of it? So the scale uh, really helps you. And if you put a zero behind that and it's 100, well, you can imagine the numbers that you're starting to talk about, the savings that you can occur now, uh, but you have to look at and say, well, but even though the savings, I got to make sure that we don't cut it to the point where it goes, you know, cuts and, and makes you bleed, right? Or cuts yeah. to the bone. So you, you don't want to be able to do those things. So you've got to look at what's a good balance across uh, what you can really sell and, you know, and keep selling. So, but a roll a good strategy. Uh, even if you're rolling up one or two operations in your local market. So let's say you you you're, you know, there's only one or two of you in the industry, or one or two of you are the major players, and you're a software SaaS company or a supplier or something, that might make sense to do. And that's a good growth strategy, by the way. So you're growing through acquisition as opposed to growing through organic sales. And that's a, and that's what you're doing in a roll-up. You're really growing, first of all, through the just the acquisitions now you're pulling that together, now that look what you've done in one year, oh my gosh, then you put that with the savings, then there should be a gap in which you can then service the debt and service that growth. And and then all of those synergies should then lead towards uh, increase in sales, or why
0: would you do it? Right. You know, I already want to hit on that, which is you grow through acquisition, right? And we talk to a lot of C-suite people who want to become angel investors or maybe they haven't really thought about it. And so they spend all of their time and money filtering whatever profits they have and taking that off the top and putting it back into their business. And we try to tell them that's not always the best strategy. Yeah, of course, when you're in a growth phase, you got to do that. But once you get to a certain level, you need to diversify your portfolio. Right. You want to start investing. So you have your money going to work for you as opposed to just into your business. But one of those strategies is through acquisition, right? right? Instead of putting money back into growing your operations or your sales team, you start acquiring other companies. So why would a business owner who is you know, looking at profits in their company, why would they want to look at that an acquisition as a possibility? And you kind of touched on the economies of scale, but how does that fit into an investment strategy for a C-suite executive?
1: Well, if I'm looking at it as an investor, I want to see high-level growth. And I'd love to see double-digit growth. And so I want to see growth. Not at all not at all cost, but I wanna see growth and I'm usually willing to fund the growth because growth leads to, to more uh, profits over time. So and you should be able to gain more and, and buy growth leads on growth, which on growth is like compounded interest, you know. Mm-hmm. If you leave the money sit there and run with it, it's gonna keep growing and pretty soon, fifteen years later you can send your kids to college. So you want the same kind of thing to occur with growth in the business. So yeah, so acquiring another business and then looking at the synergies. Now you got greater scale. You should be able to buy better, right? You should be able to get smarter people, right? You should be able to get you know uh, you know faster this, faster that, more widgets, more that, um, you know, more access to capital and so forth. So it's, it's just really a smart move to be able to to do then. But you can't just acquire to acquire sake. It's got to be. It's got to fit. Got going to have a, a real fit. It's kind of like a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, you know?
0: Yeah. Putting everything together like a jigsaw puzzle and using this as a strategy, but you can't just go out there and look at different companies that don't fit into the right vertical or they don't add synergy. So I think we understand why that's important, but how do you develop that type of strategy especially if you are the business owner looking to invest by acquiring other companies.
1: Well, you might have some good trusted advisors that you go to that help you kind of figure out what that might look like, you know. But it really gets back to what are your conditions of satisfaction as a business? What do you want to do? And and then what's the overall growth? So so by saying, hey, we want to grow by acquisition and we want to grow double digit, we want to go triple digit what might be the scenarios for the business itself and we're going to look through all of those pieces first and identify each one of those and then determine which is the right fit based up for us based on timing based on access resources based on whether we know how to do it or not do we have some people to do it is there a good partner is there a partner willing to do it with us or not those are all the things you have to do you know most things jeff in business are done as a real fundamental, you know, some key questions that you want to ask yourself about, does this make sense or not? Do we want to do it this way or, or should we do it this way? So what are your, you know, mutual conditions of satisfaction is what I call them, you know, in the business, what are you trying to drive? What are you trying to achieve? And then most people don't sit down and think that through. Do they understand that when starting a business, how many months are you willing to go without a paycheck? or how many years are you willing to go without a paycheck, right? Um, you know, those are the kind, you know, are you are you willing to do it at that level? You know, do you understand what this means in terms of time away from your family? All these kinds of things that, uh, what happens if I have a partner and we don't get along, you know, and I don't like him or her? And so therefore, those are the kind of things you'd kind of want to put in place or at least think through as part of that. So even back on that strategy, that's some key questions, but even beyond that, you should be thinking these bitter, bigger, broader questions.
0: So let's let's flip it a little bit and let's talk about, okay, the, you're the business owner who's looking to go out there and raise capital because you want to implement these strategies and and we won't call them leveraged buyouts, you're looking for more capital to do that. And now you go out to an investor. So let's say I wanna put you in the investor's driver's seat now, the person that's looking at potentially investing in a company that has this type of strategy. What are some of the key questions that you're asking to figure out if you actually want to invest in a company like that. I mean, you've already, you've bought bought and sold over 200 companies. You've got to have some sort of a due diligence checklist or something you go through, at least mentally, uh, when you're looking at these. So
1: I'm going to look at their track record for the last couple of years. Okay. I want to look at the experience they've had. I'm going to look at their sales, how they get it, what's their go-to-market strategy. But then the other thing is, I'm going to ask a lot of questions about them and the team. It's almost always comes down to talent you know, and the people. So I'm really going to want to know the people really well and how they do it and what experience they've had. And, and then, you know, I'm going to ask questions like how realistic are they? And if they give me bullshit answers, are they going to say now here's the upside, but here's the downside. Now nah, that, that's pretty cool because now they they're telling me both, you know, here's the good, the bad and the ugly. And I want to hear that from somebody. I want to hear from somebody who's really transparent, but those are the kind of questions I'd get into them and understand. I mean, um most of us can sense pretty quick whether or not they have the stuff to do it and whether the market's there but you know um show me what the target market looks like show me what the the industry looks like what are the projections based on that show me what your Kager is you know in terms of being able to to really acquire that what's your cost to acquire it um i want to know those kinds of things that they've thought that through not that they just think well It's a really good opportunity. It's a really good idea. Look how big the whole market is. Well, okay, got it. And then I you know, and if if you ever answer a question with uh, we're the only ones doing it, then I'm not going to talk to you. That's the other one, because if you're the only ones doing it, then then there's not a market for it. Yep. I want to know that there's other people who are right behind you, and you have. Oh, we don't have competitors. Of course, you have competitors. Your competitor might be time, might be you know, might be something. But you better understand who your competitor is, too.
0: Yeah, you know that's actually a really good point. We have that same uh, mentality when we're talking to an entrepreneur who says, "Okay, I have this great idea, great business model, great business plan, great team. Everything else makes sense. We have this incredible growth rate, and even if their projections look great." And you get down to it and say, okay, so who's your competition? They say, no one, we have no competition.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: that one, yeah, it doesn't matter how good the opportunity looks, that one goes right in the round file because we all know that there's always competition and apathy can be a competitor, right? Totally. Like customers just don't even want to even take the time to use your product. Why would they even bother buying it, right? Totally. So it's, it's one of those things that once you've looked at enough of them, you start to see weed through the bullshit, like you were saying, right? Um, And you actually wrote a book about that. We didn't even talk about that in the beginning, but I do want you to get into that a little bit because I think that really it hits on all these points. it's the hero factor. And can you talk a little bit about that book and, and what what you can take out of that book as a potential investor that would help them analyze a business from a potential investment opportunity?
1: Well, I, you know, one of the things that we have in the C-suite network is the Hero Club, which is a value-based organization for CEOs. And we started looking at these value-based CEOs because, you know, if you have, if a business has values, we found out they have what we call the hero factor. And at the core of what they have, they have diversity, they have inclusion, you know, they, they, but beyond that, they really are focused on their key values as to what they're doing and why they are doing what they're doing. And when we find companies that, that are value-based led, that kind of put people over profits for the most part, we find that these companies gross more revenue, they earn more revenue, they net more revenue. They have happier employees. They have customers who are more engaged. They have vendors who want to do a bit more business with them, you know, just go out of their way to do business with them. They, they you, know, you know, give money, loan them money, loan them inventory, whatever, anything to do to grow. And then they, you know, when they walk through the communities, people point at them and say, well, there goes a hero business. And that they have what we call the hero factor. And it's it's a pretty it's a pretty positive kind of uh, you know position to be in. So uh, I'm always looking for those kinds of businesses. You know, businesses that are based on values. No that that no matter what, they have certain walk away values that they just say I won't do business unless it's like this. That says something about the differentiation that they're going to have in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that sets them up for a you know, real competitive advantage. Not even and you didn't even talk about the product or the service necessarily, right? How much does the product or service really play into the viability of a business to grow and succeed and profit long term?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times conversations that, you know, one of the big mistakes that a lot of uh, folks looking for investment make is that they talk too much. And sometimes we're sold on it, but yet they want to keep telling me how good they are. They want to tell me how they do this or do that. You know, we have people who come to us with podcasts or they come to us with TV shows, well, I know from the numbers, I know from certain things that I can look at or hear whether they're good or not, but they want to keep telling me about it. And I'm like, quit telling me about it. You had me at a low, you know? So um, a lot of times we do that. But yeah, we it, if they have that hero factor, I mean, it's a pretty special thing. Um, and it has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with product or service. It has everything to do with integrity, has everything to do with their diversity, has everything to do with their inclusivity, you know, it uh, with the key factors that drive the values. And if they have those values, man, I'm signing up for them. I'm I'm giving them money because that that shows me that they're really
0: good people. Yeah, absolutely. And it probably makes it a little bit more fun to hang out with them, too.
1: You know? uh, yeah, without question. You know, it's kind of nice to be able to walk into a room and you can take the armor off and know that the conversations are great conversations and you get a lot done. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're we're partners together on the Angel and Hero Venture Growth Fund, where it's just a, just a small angel investment fund that we're looking at great opportunities. And we're always looking at that upside. And, and when people hear us talk, we say that, you know, as an angel investor, you could you know, get a ten x, hundred x, thousand x upside. Totally, but there's all this risk, right? And really, they they don't believe the upside, and all they hear is risk.
1: Well, there's always risk, and there's always failure. So, so let's just take those off the table. I mean, they're on; they're there all the time. So you got to know yeah. that.
0: Yeah. So, so what do you look at, and and how do you help people understand? Because you've done angel investing, you you've invested, and in, you've bought companies that are you know still relatively new and and not proven in the marketplace necessarily, and still trying to find their way. So what do you say to the people that say, well, why would I even consider this as an opportunity? And you've done it quite a bit.
1: Well, I mean, for us as an angel investor network and as an angel investor network fund and the hero fund, it's based upon the fact that we know a lot of the players that are coming in. I mean, we're seeing that we've got a group of people who are looking at these businesses who who have an eye for this. We've done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So therefore, by putting the money into a pool like ours, what you're doing is you're mitigating that risk because at least we are seeing the creme de la creme. That doesn't mean it still won't fail, but you right. know I can tell you here recently, we made an investment in a company and they're already sending us back a check. Um, And it's all I think it's been, what, six months since we first put the money in these guys. So Mm -hmm. we're seeing the money come back. Now, we look for things like that so that we can continue to grow the fund at the same time we're bringing money into the fund. But we're looking for businesses that have uh, a proven track record, not so much the the business itself, but a lot of the folks that we see this is their second or third time around. And they're they're good operators, and they've done it before. And if they have a good track record before, chances are they can do it again. If you got a guy hitting home runs, chances are he's going to hit a home run again, you know. Or if he's hitting good, you know, good singles and doubles, that's a good batter. He's not a strikeout king. This is a good person, we, we're gonna bat, we're gonna find those kinds of businesses. Then we look at the, you know, we've also have done our homework in terms of the marketplace, the due diligence. And not only that, we have a network behind us, Jeff, right? That of all of these suppliers and friends and uh, people who, hey, you need, you need a website, you need the back office, you need merchant accounts, you need this, you need that. These are friends of ours. So that's what the that's the, the compound effect of a network that you get to have um, with experienced groups like ours or, you know, or others. If, even if it's not us, go find somebody else. That's why venture capital firms, you know, they're in the business of making money of doing the things they need to do to grow businesses, to find the next Amazon, to find the next DocuSign, to find the next Facebook or Uber or, you know, Airbnb. You imagine, who would have thought 10 years ago people would buy money in, in Airbnb or do Airbnb? I mean, basically, if someone that would sit in their home, you'd rent their home, your home out to them. They're sitting naked on your couch and you pay them money. Well, you know, there are people who see that, see the vision of that and say, oh, this is a good
0: business. Yep. So so I want to distill just three quick points that I made throughout this interview, which is, you know, first off, if you're an investor or even a business owner looking to invest and acquire other companies, develop a sound strategy, right? Have a good strategy, stick to your strategy, understand what your game plan is there. Uh, the, the second piece is to to really develop your network and develop your team and rely on them, right? Which I think we all we all understand that in, in the business world at least, but when it comes to investing. You you hope that you can, but in this world of investing, it's a little bit different. And then the, the third piece about that was that you really want to um, you really want to have the right people that are in your team helping you build this up, helping you to make it operational and and grow that from a perspective. And those people have to be upstanding people. They have to be a great team behind you, right? As well as the the companies you're looking at. So those are the three points that I have. Um, and, and anything else to add on that? And I have two other questions that are really Uh, They'll wrap this out for us.
1: No, again, I think the other piece of it I I really want to keep going back to is your condition of satisfaction to really understand, you know, even if you're investing in a company or into a fund. What are your own personal conditions of satisfaction for understanding? You know, really, truly understanding that you're letting that money go and putting it in. Then you have a say in it. You're still involved with it. You're going to get updates. You're going to be involved. You know, and you can also, by the way, become a cheerleader for some of those companies and help. Um, you know, help, help, support them, help push them, and do those kind of things. But really, what are your conditions of satisfaction? I think are awesome.
0: Love that. Love it. All right. Two two final questions to wrap this one out, and the first one is. Um, you know, you, you've done a lot in your career. You've had a lot of success. You've had a lot of, uh, I'm assuming, a, a lot of failures, as most successful people do. Absolutely. Um, some probably more public than others. It, and a lot of people ask, okay, what was your your greatest success? What was the coolest thing you ever did? And I want to take a different twist on that, which is, which success, which thing that you have done in your business career, your investing in your career, that you're most satisfied with? That, that you really feel like it doesn't even have to be the biggest number or the biggest mark. But well, what what's the thing that you are most satisfied with within your career so far?
1: You know, it's the things I'm doing now. It's the things I'm building with the C-Suite Network. It's the things I'm building with the Hero Network. It's the partnerships that we're doing with the Angel Investor Network. It's it's a way of saying, I get to do things the way I want to do them because I can. And, and that's one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur. I'm not working in a big corporate company where I have to take this or take this. Look, if I don't like it, I change it. I'm changing it. You know, if the bathrooms need cleaning, I'll clean them. You know, if I don't want to invest in that company because I just don't like that guy, <laughs> then I don't have to invest in that guy. You know, and I think that's one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur. So it's the things I'm doing right today. I'm excited by them. It, it, you know, and you you mentioned failure. People always ask, "What's the biggest failure I've ever had?" And I say, "I don't know. I haven't done it yet." <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm gonna have. Well, I'm gonna do it. There's gonna be some woo, doozies, but uh, the same thing with success. I I don't by the you know I don't. I don't I, I just keep moving on. Let's go do the next one, the next one, the next one. And that's really I think what real successful people do anyway, is we don't always we don't always look at those things. That was just, ah, we did that. That's good. Now let's go do another one. Now let's do it better.
0: Yeah. And and you kind of answered my second part of this question, which is, you know, again, we talk about our biggest failures. Well, no one really likes to talk about our biggest failure. And like you said, we may not have even had it yet. Oh, I've but had what's it. A, <laughs> what, what's something that happened to you in your career that you at the time was just like Head between your legs, hated it, can't believe this happened. But in hindsight, now you're going, man, I'm really glad that happened to me.
1: I invested in pheasant farming.
0: <laughs> pheasant farming, okay, I got to hear that story.
1: I tried to corner the, listen, folks, Yeah, I, I actually did an interview on a podcast yesterday called Your Worst Mistake Ever, and this was it. And it was, I invested, the guy said, can you come up with it? I said, absolutely. I once invested in a pheasant farm. I tried to corner the market on pheasants until I realized there wasn't one okay <laughs> and I lost my shirt I mean I lost my pants I lost everything and uh, and I had to go borrow money to pay back my investment you know that's how bad it was and we had to pony up to the bar as an investor and it was bad and it, and I tried to corner the market on smoke pheasants and and live <laughs> pheasants to send to hunters but smoke pheasants that people would buy and this was the days before uh, overnight shipping and things like that so the pheasants would rot on the way to You know, to to the person, (laughs) and I had ten thousand pheasants who one night looked up into the sky during a rainstorm, opened their beaks and drowned. I mean, you know, imagine what it was like bringing in a bulldozer and burying ten thousand pheasants. You know, so the so don't do that. Don't invest in pheasants, but invest in everything else.
0: (laughs) So don't try to corner the market when there is no market, huh? That's right.
1: Well, and that I didn't do my homework. You know, passion, passion. You know, people say follow your passion. Bullshit. You know, uh, follow your head. Follow the smarts. Uh, pay pay attention. Passion's great to get you in or get you interested, but don't let that be the the soul, You know, I didn't do my homework. Had I yeah. had I taken the pheasant and a smoked pheasant and shipped it to you, Jeff, and you got it and you said, Jeff, it's got mold on it. It, it took a week to get here. You know, you know, smoke pheasant I had to ship it by land back then. Now you now you you know put them overnight and then you get fresh lobster overnight you get fresh whatever blah 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 you could, back then you couldn't do that and had I done that had I gone out and sold it I would have realized it never would have worked and Ooh. it would have and that would have convinced me not to do it so that's a great piece of advice for you too
0: love it love it awesome well we've been here on the Angels Exit and Acquisitions podcast with Jeffrey Hazlett I want to thank you Jeff very much for taking the time to be here today and, and sharing your wisdom and all your experiences so. Thank you very much, um, you know for being my partner as well and helping with all of this. And we're gonna go ahead and put a link to your book in the show notes as well as your bio and everything else in the show notes. Anything else you want to just add before we wrap up here?
1: Well, just I think it's great being a great partner of yours. The, the everything that the Angel Investor Network does to be able to help entrepreneurs get off the ground and get connected to the right kinds of people has just been fantastic. You guys are a great partner, and we're glad to have a fund that we can invest in and find those right kinds of businesses through the pitch contest, the, through the, the the way that they come through the system, how they come into the organization, the C-suite network as well. It's just it's great. It's a great partnership, and we've got some great people, and uh, we're just blessed to be be a part of it. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And I think that's been a great interview. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate being a part of uh, your guys' organization as well. So with that, I'm Jeff Barnes with Angel Investors Network. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast and uh, make sure you go to angelinvestorsnetwork.com forward slash podcast to see the show notes. Thank you, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions with your host, Jeff Barnes, brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Go to www.angelnetwork.com for tools, resources, show notes, and more, as well as our free training on how to become a successful angel investor and entrepreneur.